The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steyer-Blondie. This is Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts. What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 121 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host, who will be joining me shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. After Mike and I get all caught up, we'll talk about our favorite paradiddle exercise, and we'll check out Bill Bachman's article in the January issue. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Chad Sexton from the band 311. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the SJC Paramount Series drum set. We get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Yeah! So how about Someday, that? Dawson. All right, who was that intro group again? <laughs> that was Kyle. My Kyle, right. my man. That's my Kyle. That's my man, Kyle. That was cool, great. man. I love that little upbeat tambourine that just gives it life and gives it like some happiness to it. Exactly. Little tiny little details. I was just watching the uh, rewatching the Aaron Sterling masterclass on his organic hip hop. Yep. And there's just yeah. so many little things to learn. I mean, each time I watch it, I'm like, ah, he he talks about. Think of your drum set and frequency bands rather than pieces of a kit, and that kind of opens you up to using yeah. shakers instead of hi hats and, and not playing right. the drums like a drum set player. Anyway, I think it adds a lot. It also opens you up when someone else sends you a loop to play drums on. It opens you up to realizing I don't have to do that because that frequency band is covered by the fact that they already have a tambourine playing eighth notes. So why am I going to just mimic that on the hi hat? Why don't I be a little more syncopated and sporadic on the hi-hat in that same frequency band? Or yeah. move my hand. Maybe I now my hi-hat, since they've got that covered, maybe I'll just play the hi-hat part on the floor tom and, and add a new frequency that isn't there. I One of the best parts about being a teacher, and maybe you've gone through this on the private level, is that anytime you're teaching something, you're relearning it. Yeah. And so when I show my campers that Aaron Sterling video... I'm always getting something out of it. So I've, <laughs> yeah. I've seen that probably a hundred times. And every time I'm like, man. This, and now I'm to the point where I'm like making his jokes right before he does. You know? <laughs> okay. You Why like... do I keep doing that? Why do I keep clapping? Okay. <laughs> it's terrible. Anyway, great problem. job, Kyle. I mean, that was a cool groove. I dig it. That was. I mean, there was, was awesome. some shaker in there too. Yeah. It's a nice layering of textures. It's very cool. Yeah. It set the tone. It set the tone. So Maybe we, at might, some point, we might have oh, like enough to keep going past December. I mean, they keep coming in, so if we want to continue this, we could probably have listener intros for a while now. That's fine <laughs> by me. Fine by me. And it's it's kind of becoming the new 
guitar center drum off. Like people on the Mike's Lessons family page were like, "Man, it's really hard to do this," and I'm I'm working really hard on a groove for the podcast intro, and I'm thinking like. Dude, it's really not that big of a deal. Just lay down a beat. But when you lay down a beat and think about the, an entire world of drummers listening to it, it changes how you play. Yeah, true. You know, and 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 kind of like the hints for how to win the drum off, the hints how to win the the intro placement versus the outro placement. You know, we just ah, had that conversation. Yes. Which one of these two would be easier to talk over? You have to think about there that you go. kind of stuff. Yeah, if you're if you're if you're dropping the heat. Uh, I can't really talk over it. I learned that myself because I, I felt the pressure. And so for the first, I don't know, 40 episodes of the podcast, every intro was me just throwing Ripping. it down. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, man, I got to get this thing down to like 2 dB so I can talk over it because it's so much chops. And then, you know, one time I was like, I'm so done. I'm over this. And I just played a beat and it was so much easier to talk over. So just yeah. play a cool beat. So did we say Temp- his full name? Oh, that was ahead. Kyle Denny. Kyle Denny, and you know the key too is not just simplicity and all that. It's also tempo. How are you going to set the tone with your tempo? Because I'm going to speak differently over like scats, scats. That's so true. You know, in the in the couple episodes where you weren't able to do the intro, and I had to just grab stuff that I had, it was way moodier just because it was the stuff I was working on at the time, and it kind of made the, the whole show just feel like a little bit lethargic maybe or it's just different it sets a different tone i go out there on the kit every time and i'm like okay let's break it up i know what i normally do i'm changing up here's 65 bpm start off the click and i'm like no and back to 123 (laughs) (laughs) let's get that energy going you know it's just like i feel like i got like richard simmons dancing right next to me jazzercise and like come on man let's go peppy Uh, anyways kyle you clearly crushed it fantastic job and we have another Awesome listener to check out at the end. How have you been doing, buddy? Uh, I'm good now. I'm healthy. I had a I had a bit of a stomach bug that went through my my entire house for, on Sunday. Oh, goodness! So I you know I was in D.C. played a gig Saturday, got like three hours of sleep, woke up Sunday and was like, uh oh, this is going to be bad. So I hopped in the car at like 7 a.m. and just sped home as quickly as possible, knowing that oh. the rest of my day was going to suck. So I oh. got home. And then I was like, I couldn't get off the couch all day Sunday. And then the Oof. past two days, it's just been that residual like week. I think I lost five yeah. pounds and just not. Yeah, I was gonna say, you yeah, lose not weight, feeling, man. Not feeling it. So I'm back now. I think I'm ready to roll. I can eat a regular <laughs> meal, solid food. <laughs> Good. It's funny that I mean it, it affected the way that I was. I mean, I hate not playing drums every day, but for those two days, I was like, ugh, I'd rather I'd rather do anything than make music right now right <laughs> I don't percussive do music loud yeah percussive just, music yeah i'd rather just watch the news i'd rather watch this depressing election over and over and over again <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness yeah so anyway I, i'm uh, good how are you how's your reno how's your demolition it's, and everything it's good i'm looking at it right now so they so we're tearing out the back wall that was behind me when i'd make my videos we're tearing out the stage and we're building a big snare wall in the lobby. And then we're taking out all the lighting and putting in new stuff. So, yeah, it's going good. Um, I'm I'm looking at the back wall now, and they just textured it. So we're getting ready to build all the things that will be built on top of it. That'll be Sweet. my new backdrop for all my videos. So uh, the wall should be done later today. Or not later today, probably by tomorrow. And then uh, flooring will be the next day. And then... Uh, this big giant snare wall in my um, 
lobby that'll hold 16 snares flat like they were on snare stands. So, oh, um, cool. so you'll see them like front on. Um, so it, it's got room for 16 snares, and that'll just give more of a drum shop vibe right when you walk through the doors, which is what I want. Nice. Um, it'll also give criminals like, a, yeah, we should definitely rob that place when they look through my door. <laughs> Got to get some so, lasers, laser beams in that. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, Amber was like, we should tint the window. I'm like, we're not tinting the window, but yeah, we should consider a more secure door. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, so that's been cool. And then um, I now, got the. Are, are you oh, go ahead. are you concerned about what's going to happen to the acoustics of the place? I mean, you've been kind of yes. dialing it in, even, maybe even subconsciously for years. So are you? Yes. So. Yeah. So and I wasn't until last night. Last night we had band practice here, and that wall and all that foam is gone. Yeah. And I was like, I can't play quiet enough. Uh-huh. No matter what I do, I can't get this thing to shut up. And so yeah, I immediately was thinking, um, hmm. Hmm. We're going to have to do some. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> luckily, what I have planned is very um, – I don't, I don't even know how you would call it, but it's all coming off of the wall. We're building shapes onto the wall. So there will be yeah. a lot of diffusion and a lot of reflection yeah. getting broken up. There will be no flat wall behind me. So, But no um, foam. No foam. So we'll have to see – how that goes um and i mean i'm not against bringing some in at some point but Mm. this is definitely you know um interior design for video's sake you Mm -hmm. know what i mean so yeah so we'll see what happens um but uh yeah i'm I'm really excited we've been working on this design for a while i'm working on you know collecting different woods and staining different woods and painting and doing all this different stuff to get like the perfect thing um and we found a, a paint that i can't recall the name of it right now but there's a black paint that doesn't allow for any light reflection whatsoever. So when when it's seen on oh, camera, yeah. it literally looks like there's a hole in space. I um, saw some video of that. That's some like space age stuff, right? Right. Yeah. So, but you can get it. So we're thinking about painting the inside of the new symbol boxes with that paint. So the new symbol boxes will be made out of reclaimed wood, but obviously minor symbols on reclaimed wood are camouflaged right it's all yeah. the exact same texture <laughs> yeah. so so we're thinking about painting the insides of that with that black non-reflective paint Interesting. so the the cameras don't pick up any light it's just like it it could look really cool so we're still working on all of that so that's going on uh had band practice last night and played my 1960s gretz round badge six lug snare oh congrats uh, that's awesome it was it was so much fun did you get to see the video i did yeah very uh, cool such a cool little process i wanted people to know that the process of like hey if you're like me and you want vintage drums, but you don't have enough knowledge to just buy them off of Reverb.com, Sight Unseen. The two vintage drums I have, you picked out one and Bryson picked out one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mind mm-hmm. spending the money. I just don't want to waste the money. So Yeah, yeah there's some duds having, out there. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, and so couple. having somebody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> having somebody like Bryson, I, you know, being able Anybody to tell him. Anybody want to buy a snare drum? I got a good price. <laughs> <laughs> I got a good price. Uh, if you want a decoration for your house. Um, and that was the cool thing, too, is now at his new shop, he's got Andy there. So he was like, yeah, the seam on the wrap is is totally perfect. There's no pitting on the hardware. But the the bottom bearing edge is super wide, and the bottom, or I'm sorry, the uh, the snare bed is super wide, and the and deep, and mm-hmm. and he was like, you'll never get wrinkles out of your bottom head with this one. It's way too deep. Yeah. And then the bottom bearing edge is kind of jacked. But Andy here, 
in our building can do that for you. So it was like, you know, I just think it's a great resource to have somebody like Bryson and Andy and just say, look, this is what I'm like. I just told Bryson this morning I'm looking for a 1920s uh, nickel over brass Ludwig snare drum, tube lugs, claws, Mm. the whole shebang. Um, If you can find one under this price, let me know. And I want it to be playable. I don't want the 1920s snares on it. I actually want to play it today. So I need it to be retrofitted with modern snares and everything. Um, And that's rad just to say, I don't need it tomorrow, but if you come across one, remember and, and hit me up. So. Yeah, that's cool. That's good super stuff. Cool. So, are you going to so, yeah. compare that to your broadcaster, your new broadcaster? Yeah, and that's the plan. Really, is I was talking to Carter McLean this morning, um, and I was talking to him about the snare wall. The whole point of it is to have one snare that represents everything that somebody could ever ask about. Like, how is aluminum different than brass? Well, I've got aluminum and brass. Let's go check them out. And I want somebody to say like how are the drums different in the 50s and 60s compared to now? It's like, well, I, I have a, now I have a 60s Gretsch Round Badge Maple snare drum or, you know, their maple gum maple, and let's compare it to my broadcaster. So, mm-hmm. uh, and record them both, and they're in the same size. So actually it was cool when, when Andy cut the bearing edge down and cut the snare bed, it went from a five and a half to a five and a quarter, which gets Ooh, it closer to what I've been playing lately. So I was stoked. <laughs> He's like, I'm sorry, it won't be a five and a half. And I'm like, no, that's good. I've been playing fives. Cut it down, baby. Yeah, I've got a couple um, uh, four and three quarters that used to be fives. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which totally. Is, which is cool. And I actually really like that size. It's, it's a, Yeah. It actually works really well. So I'm entering a big kit phase, I think. Is it too late when you're 39 years old to go into a big kit phase? Yes, you are definitely having a midlife crisis. And I guarantee guarantee you wouldn't be going into that crisis if rbh didn't make those awesome drums <laughs> it was that's it, a you know. bucks county kit or bucks county bucks county that's yeah, what I, meant. Yeah. I i knew it was one of your two favorite companies <laughs> like um and, well first of all that's gorgeous i wasn't ready for that finish yeah it's so that's, it's a it's an all birch all birch kit he does like a hybrid solid and ply shell so it's all birch like solid inner ply with birch plies yeah like five or i don't remember the number but Birch ply kind of re-rings in a solid core, but then he put he got this red gum veneer, and that's what took it over oh, the top. Okay, and then he did it like diagonal grain, diagonal like kind of diagonal or whatever. seam or whatever the yeah. grain is diagonal, and put like a honey amber finish on it, so it's pretty natural. Dude, but it's gorgeous. Yeah, man. As soon as, I, as soon as he dropped it off, I'm like, ooh, what is this? <laughs> I'm gonna put Dude. them all up. <laughs> So awesome, man. <laughs> so you have three up and two down? Yeah, it's 8, 10, 12, oh 14, God. 16. 20-inch oh, bass drum. <laughs> oh, I just – I get scared. Like to me, it's like every tom that gets added is one – it's like 10% less groove because I have to get uh, over yeah, there at some point. Know. You know what's um, becoming the unnecessary drum is the 16. Oh, I could totally like, see I'm that. I'm just yeah. not having any desire to reach over there to play that drum very often. Yeah. But the you three up is force- fun. Yeah, I bet. Well, yeah, and, and not not only is it fun for like you know the silly chops, but it's it's the first time probably in a long time that you've had melodic options that many melodic options right in front of you. You know, yeah. you can play these really. That's a turn the snares off and play music type of thing. Man. <laughs> yeah, that's well. Yeah, that's what I did today. Instantly, I went into Billy Cobham slash Terry Bozia mode and stuff. Oh, sure. Stuff I'd practiced when I was fourteen, fifteen, just like came out. I'm like. I have not thought about this stuff for 20 years, <laughs> and literally right. that's the first thing that comes out. 
So yeah, it's it's fun. I the thing is, as a practical working drummer, I'm just not going to take an eight inch tom to a gig. It's just not going to happen. Right. And yeah, knowing the sure. sound guys around here, and they'll be like, "Oh, how many toms you got?" Like when you tell a sound guy, "I've got." Four piece kit. They're like, you're my bro. <laughs> if you yeah, go in totally, sand, totally. I've got a seven piece kit. They're gonna just look at you like, oh, yeah. good lord, why? <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. I, I, it is a gorgeous kit. I can't wait to hear the review on it. Uh, that thing's amazing. I got two yesterday. Uh, two Doc Sweeney snares. Um, mm. Man, they're so making really full, nice stuff. Whew, full steam bent. I got yep. one in Myrtle and one in something else, but a 14 by 5 and a 14 by 6 So I'll do a review on those in the next couple of weeks. Um, nice. We got a print review with, coming up on their Tiger, Tiger something. I'll know more specifically when we get to the review, but that's another like shockingly gorgeous kit. It's like a blue Tiger stripe or something. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I, I was really happy. I got a chance to talk to um, Steven, the owner for quite a while on the phone just to ask him about the sonic properties of steam bent shells and i was like i can you please tell me why you're doing this this seems like a lot of work (laughs) to make a cylinder out of a flat piece of board that does not want to be bent um and it was really cool he was like well when you have applied shell of the same thickness you don't have wood you have wood glue wood glue wood glue wood glue and he's like and that glue is is an insulator and you're not hearing the wood you're hearing the wood and the glue combination and if you want to hear what an actual maple drum sounds like you're going to have to get a steam bent shell and it was it was one of those moments where i was like wow it doesn't mean that it's better you might like it less maybe you like the insulated sound yeah I but mean, it is what it yeah, is. Totally. Yeah. There's that. There's an argument for liking wrap shells better than uh, satin totally. finish because it just does yep. something to the sound that you might like better. Absolutely. So yeah. So <laughs> it was really great talking to him, and I told him like what my sonic preferences were and what my size preferences were, and he sent out two snares. And so, um, so yeah. I'm, and and then of course they show up right as my contractor is like all right we're gonna start tearing stuff down you gotta strike the kit I'm like no 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 you got two of the most gorgeous snare drums ever made i gotta play man so uh so i'll check them out next week but all right let's get into some education let's talk about playing these dang things yeah right so um you guys have an article in the current issue of md about paradiddle exercises written by was it by bill bachman yeah, he's our he's our resident guru of all things technique. Yeah, man, <laughs> he's a he's the man. Endless pool of knowledge. So he wrote. I know. Uh, he called the article "Velocity and Energy Shifters." So he's talking about how you go from, you know, straight eighth note full strokes into paradiddle kind of variations. I think it was yeah. paradiddle variations, but it's essentially an accent followed by a series of double strokes. Mm-hmm. Which it's kind of the way I think of paradiddles anyway. It's really a tool to allow you to play accents within a double stroke roll. That's kind of yeah, how yeah. I think of it. Yeah. So you, you play, you know, you put an accent on the first single, you play the second single as a low tap, and then you can just roll. So I think of a paradiddle as being any version of that. You can have a hundred doubles afterwards, but I still think of it as right. some sort of a paradiddle type thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, two singles followed by a succession of doubles at the same rate of speed yeah right right. and that first that very first note is accented exactly Um, and yeah i mean it it's one of those things where people don't realize that part of hey you don't have to stop the diddling so fast you Mm -hmm. know um obviously in the paradiddle you only get one but um with a uh paradiddle diddle diddle that's another alternating rudiment that gives you an awesome 30 second note groove yeah 
and you don't and it's alternating you know so you get that left hand backbeat um so wonder, i use I that and wonder a lot. why they stopped at pair diddle diddle i guess because you have to just keep saying diddle 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 diddle, diddle. right I, I really i think I, and i think maybe at the time it was just kind of thought like well, clearly, you know, you could do more. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. no, really? People go 40 years of drumming without knowing that you could have just added one more diddle and then it would have been an alternating rudiment that fit in 4-4. Four, four. Um, and the paradiddle diddle always gets treated as like this triplet thing where it's like, I yeah. like I love it as 30 second notes going over the bar line. Exactly. Um, I, I use that as I'll, a device all the time. Yeah, of course. And And then I also love that thing. I don't know if you saw it on the Mike's Lessons family, but I put up like a little video saying, hey, here's the video I didn't put on Instagram. This is where it didn't go well for me. This oh, is yeah, what yeah. I did for two hours, and you got to see the 35 seconds that was flawless. Well, I was I was trying to make a melody out of 30-second note paradiddle diddles between the um, ride and the tom, you know, and mm-hmm. ding da doom ding da doom um, in that feel. And so, yeah, I, I think that's super useful. The article that... Bill's got going on really gets you. What I like about it is that you're doing the accents with slow eighth notes, and then and then you have to jump down as the velocity creeps up. Yeah, so exactly. the speed's going up, and your dynamics are coming down. Yeah, and I think that's a really great exercise for people. Yeah, the shifting from full rebounding strokes to a downstroke followed by a succession of low taps. I mean, that's an essential technique. And, and it is. Bill it just kind of you know dissects it and. All of his exercises, for me, when I see it, I'm like, of course, that's simple. But then you go to do it, and you're like, oh, man, I can't bring that first tap yeah. down low enough. And then you really kind of you – know, for me, yeah. it's like a all, every one of his exercises is like a black hole. I'm literally practicing his single-stroke exercises. Number one single-stroke exercise from his book, Stick, Stick Technique, every day for the past year. I mean, it's really? like exercise one, page one. It's just like I haven't gone <laughs> – do not pass go. <laughs> I'm not yeah, there man. <laughs> It's so funny that the stuff is endless. And you're right. Going from the pages of MD or one of Bill's books or whatever to the pad, it's it's how do you get people to do that? Because yeah. I think what happens is when you look at this, whether it be online or in the pages of a magazine, you kind of go like, just like you said, yep, I can do that. Yep. And it's like, okay, so you're telling me that if Bill was standing next to you right now, you <laughs> could do that? If you put on a metronome, nice and easy, 80 BPM, here we go, one. Like, no, you wouldn't. Your hands would turn into just like clubs. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't trust that you could do that because I know because I've played my whole life and I can't do that. So yeah. how, you know, this stuff is is big kid stuff. You know, it's not this progression of constantly taking on more and more complex notation as as you grow into a more professional player you're constantly going backwards and being like i should have done this when i was nine but i wasn't mature enough to handle it so i didn't do it and um, and that's what i learned you know back to you talking about the facility and me losing my phone what i learned last night is i couldn't play my songs that i wrote the drum parts for i couldn't play them quite enough I actually, when I try to get to the, when I got to the volume that was necessary for the room, I lost the control of the sticks. I yeah. couldn't play. Yeah, a blind tight. spot. Yeah, yeah, and I and I love that my band is in a place now where we don't have um, Mike Johnston clinician playing with a bass player and a guitar player. We're all on equal musical levels um, 
in the room. So for them to tear the ass out of me was <laughs> rad. Like we stopped at one point and like and my guitar player's like, Do you need a click? <laughs> I was oh, like, Yes. Oh, wow. No, but it was so rad. It was like we always make fun of each other. And I was like, dude, I'm so stoked that we are at a place where you can say that out loud. Is that literally like, yeah, because man. you were just fighting the dynamics and that was taking up all of your focus? Yes. I, I could not play with my natural flow at this next step down of, of volume. Um, wow. I was, I, and I also usually um, we're all mic'd up, so I play with in-ears. I, was, I had no ear protection whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to play extra quiet so I could hear them over my drums, where normally... I've got their feed going into my in-ears, so I could play as loud as I want. I can hear them. Um, so it was it was really fun. But that's, you know, getting – if you can't do it on the pad, you're not going to be able to do it on a drum set. That's true. So, and, and I actually recorded my warm-up routine for the first time, like video recorded it. And as I thought I had this stuff on lockdown. And then as soon as I look at the video, I'm like, man, my stick heights suck. Like <laughs> I'm letting my my – my downstrokes come up too high. I'm not. I'm. I'm restricting my full strokes, so they're like stopping halfway through, and I'm, man, really? I'm kind of manufacturing the full stroke. And I, like I said, I've been playing that one exercise for over a year. And I, the first time I've recorded myself, I'm like, gosh, all right, back to the beginning. <laughs> Start Worst over. drummer ever. But anyway, back yeah. to the paradiddles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what's your favorite paradiddle exercise? <clears throat> um, well, you want to. Hmm. What I like to do with paradiddles is apply them actually with any, any, any rudiment or technique is apply them to a musical context as quickly as possible. If that makes okay. any sense. <laughs> what? Dude, are you having a stroke? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I, uh, well, I mean, uh, it's a paradiddle. And <laughs> I had the stomach flu two days ago. Okay. okay. My bad. All right. Sorry, let's start I was, over. I was, so yeah. when <clears throat> I'm working on a, <laughs> Okay, anyway, the paradiddle works really well to apply to something like syncopation. It's a musical phrase okay. or, or new breed, the, the reading exercises. Okay. So I think of the whatever's notated, that is your accent of the paradiddle. And then you just have to, oh. you have to just fit the paradiddles within those accents. So it could be a single paradiddle, it could be a double paradiddle, it could be okay, a paradiddle. Okay, diddle. so you're not playing this, the standard, you're not playing <clears throat> single paradiddles and then accenting wherever it shows up. It, it might be on a diddle, it might be on a down. No, you're that, saying, I'm saying, okay. f- whatever the sticking that is most natural to make that, that distance okay. between those accents work. So yeah, it would be. A heck of a challenge to just play constant paradiddles and accent. That that would be fun too. But I'm thinking more what I would actually do if I was playing a solo just, yeah. or filling. So I just aim. For, you know, I just start the paradiddle or double paradiddle or paradiddle diddle with as many extra diddles as necessary. Yep. So it hits those accents, and that great, great exercise. That immediately puts me into like, well, what does a paradiddle do for me in a musical situation? And that is probably my most used application of any rudiment is to phrase accents with paradiddles like that. Okay, so yeah. just take the you know the first couple pages of of the new breed reading or syncopation. Those what pages are those? 31, 33? Thirty one, thirty three. Yeah, I mean the summary starts at thirty six, I think. Yeah, so just start sight reading, and for me that's like okay, now I can use this stuff. I'm not just playing mm-hmm. a rudiment um, over and over again. But on the flip side, uh, when I was at Pasic, I met with uh, the professor, the you know the. Uh, she would call him. He's a professor of percussion at my alma mater, West Virginia University, okay. and he's been deep in a uh, rope drum 
kind of study. He's studying ancient drumming and contemporary mm. applications of, of rope drumming. And one way that they that you have to play the rudiments in order to pass is open the close, which I have not practiced in forever, going from super slow to as fast as you can gradually and oh, then wow. bringing it back down. And he was just explaining why that has always been so important because you hit on every transition of technique within that. Yeah, I could totally so see that. So what he does That's is he has yeah. this, he has the students, you know, rather than just kind of randomly a cellarondo and the cellarondo, they, they just go through each tempo and play the rudiment at that tempo and try to find where's the point when you're, you could go from wrist to fingers, fingers like where is your transition point? Sure. And then just focus on that and try to, you know, push how long you can just use wrist versus introducing the fingers or make the fingers more articulate so it doesn't start to sound floppy. You know, like we're good on those transitions. So that's that's, awesome. that's something I want to get back into is trying that because it seemed like it was a perfect way. I mean, that's the way I was taught to practice rudiments, but I haven't done it since yeah. eighth grade probably. Sure, sure. That's I think, I think that's <clears throat> fantastic. Um <clears throat> Yeah, it's, it's syncopation is so funny. I mean, every time someone tells you what they do with it, you yeah. think you've done it all. It's <laughs> yeah. like, I haven't done that one. Um, yeah, and I was, I mean, the whole time you're talking, I was thinking like, okay, so summary number one would be, yeah, and it's like, I've never done that. But, yeah. but what's great, and this is what I preach to my students all the time, when you're learning something, don't freak out about when are you going to use this the fact that you just said syncopation with paradiddles and paradiddle diddles and double paradiddles and i was able to do it without working it out is because i practiced all that stuff in, <laughs> right. back in the day and i wasn't wondering like you know i never asked my teacher well what's the cool thing like how do you use this yeah you know jump straight i'm only gonna do a pat of flaw flaw if you can show me how to rip it on the kit <laughs> yeah. and it's like dude it might you just might have two alternating flams one day yeah and it just <laughs> is what's needed and your pat of flaw flaw gave you that um so anyway, so so my favorite paradiddle exercise is probably a little more drum set oriented, and it's more of a placement thing. So it's taking any foot ostinato, let's say samba or bio, mm -hmm. and then uh, playing paradiddles and the accents of the – and this is all single paradiddles. The accents are on the toms. Um, so right hand is on the floor tom, left hand is on the rack tom, everything else is on the snare. So as your feet are going doon chit doon chit doon chit doon chit, you're going doon it doon and it's every bar you then just add in a 16th note rest on the downbeat of one so it just shifts over and just it's just a placement exercise to get used to you play the first bar on the downbeats then the paradiddles start on the e's then the paradiddles start on the ands mm -hmm. and the paradiddles start on the uhs <clears throat> um, cool. and so you can do that by adding in there's so many easy ways to do this you could have just a 16th note rest which is fine most drummers aren't responsible enough to handle a rest and if you give them a rest, they don't come back in where they need to come back in. So filling in all the notes is kind of necessary sometimes. So you can think of it like this. Do four paradiddles, and on the last one, you're going to do left, right, left, left, left. So three lefts at the very end of the last one, and that'll just move you forward in time, one sixteenth note, and then you start. And so it's just a shifting exercise and getting used to the feeling it's almost just like the gap or not the gap the uh, click practice the offbeat click practice mm -hmm. it's getting used to internalizing the e's internalizing the ands internalizing the uhs 
And uh, and once I do it, I don't really actually do it one bar at a time. I kind of do it and sit there until I'm comfortable, until I've really explored right. starting this thing on the E's. And the E's are my new thing, even though my feet are holding down that original downbeat. And then I just add in that one extra left hand, which throws me forward in time, one sixteenth note. That's nice. That's a good one. I mean, that's that's similar yeah. to something that <clears throat> actually, is, I guess, it's a combination of the two. We were we, you were thinking that my syncopation exercise was to play just paradiddles and superimpose accents. Yeah, that and I do that too. Where I do like um, I don't really have a name for it. It's definitely I don't know. I don't think it's what people call the paradiddle pyramid, but it's just going through the paradiddles and shifting the accent of the single paradiddle from the downbeat to the e to the end to the uh. Um, but keeping the sticking the same exactly yeah. yes yeah <clears throat> so and i do that over like a samba foot ostinato as well for mm-hmm. my students so um that's a great dynamic exercise but going through syncopation summary number one and never changing the sticking of single paradiddle but accenting those hits <laughs> that would be tough man that's worth a try i mean that, that's it not, is i'm sure that's been done before and someone listening is going to like uh i've been i was taught that 20 years ago yeah. but yeah by the way i was six when i did that your podcast sucks yeah well here okay let me ask you this if you were Sorry. i do have Little... one i mean there was a it's a totally off topic but uh ralph peterson has a great way of playing syncopation where you always do the elven triplets with the left hand on the second and third note okay but you also add the rhythm of syncopation on top of that oh nice so you might okay. be playing so six your left notes hand's in a row. going like um, and then, and then your right hand plays syncopation. No, your left hand just throws the rhythm of syncopation on top of it. So you might play like six triplet oh. notes in a row. You might end up playing constant triplets. It's pretty. That's a that's a wicked one. If you guys ever want to see what it's really like back in the day, go watch some basic footage of Ralph, man. He's he still has my favorite quote of all time that happened on my stage, which uh, when he was here teaching, he said, he said, if you wish someone heard what just happened, you were playing. And if you wish no one heard what just happened, you were practicing. Um, <laughs> nice. I, I like, like yeah, that. Yeah, man. Yeah. He was talking about being on a, stage, though. <laughs> no, no. He was talking about being he was talking about practicing in your practice room where you kind of think some people are walking past the hallway. So you're kind of blazing your chops because yeah. you think someone's listening in. So he said, if you if you wish somebody heard what just happened, you were playing. And if you wish no one heard what you're doing, you were practicing. Um, and good, I thought it advice. took me back to doing quarter notes on the ride when I was learning jazz for like two hours. Being like, I hope no one hears this because <laughs> I'm the owner of this music school and I'm playing quarter notes at 60 BPM. And I'm cussing myself out while doing it. Yeah. Like, oh, you suck. And I'm like, oh, I hope no one hears this. Um, so, yeah. Uh, uh, I was going to say something else about the paradiddle thing. Um, oh, okay. So let me ask you this. Um, if we were going to do the paradiddle, single paradiddle, and we're using syncopation, we're going to accent that. Mm-hmm. Would you internalize the syncopated rhythm as 16th notes or would it be as written? I would. Would you feel it as 1 E, a 2, and 3, and 4 E, a 1, and 2 E, a 3 E, a 4? I would, yes. I would think of written. Uh, the paradiddles would be played as as. 16th notes over the eighth notes that are written in syncopation. Okay. So you wouldn't think of the paradiddle. Well, I guess I could make it easier and say, would you play the paradiddles as eighths or as 16ths? Yeah, they'd be, they'd be a, a bit of 16th notes while accenting okay. the syncopation as written as eighth so notes. So if I was notes. here with my paradiddles, you'd be feeling it as bop, 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 Exactly. Bop. Yep. I think it'd be really cool to go 
pa 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 yeah, that would it would turn into like a lot more inverted paradiddles and yeah. and like yeah. six stroke rolls and stuff. Well, no, because remember you can't change the sticking. Oh, you mean just playing the yeah the, your new insane version of it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm nerding out, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, yeah, yeah so that's good what I'm luck. I, yeah, especially that first measure. Bub up, bub up, bub. I'm already. Do... Like, I can't even do the. I know the first two notes would be the singles, and then I'm out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Because you got to accent inside the doubles. That's, yeah. No. <laughs> and we just lost half of our listener base. Should we talk about Chad Sexton now? <laughs> I wouldn't mind it at all. Can we just talk about that snare tone? Quing! Uh, which I destroyed a couple drums trying to replicate back in the day. Man. We all did. <laughs> I, I mean, I've told I've told the story many times at a that 12 by five and a half or 12 by six, uh, uh, ascend LP ascend oh, yeah. snare drum. Yeah. That was my Chad Sexton snare drum. Man. How did you not rip the lugs off of that thing? Dog. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, and I didn't know enough to know, like, well, I can tell you this. I stretched both heads to a point that they shouldn't be where I was like, yeah, right. There's something wrong. That doesn't look right. Like, there's the no rim goes like under the, the hoop is the, even yeah the hoop was even i'm like i can't do a rim shot because there's no hoop you're just tighten it too much the bearing edge yeah. man <laughs> i love that drum but yeah and that you know i would say for me at the time chad sexton and adrian young were both pushing that thing that's where i was getting it from um mm-hmm. and i thought it was amazing and uh and it was it's funny you know you we all think about like muffling the drum and choking or uh, uh muting the drum but when you crank it tight enough it actually chokes and then it just becomes dead on its own so it's really cool man um yeah but chad was a a big part of that for me for sure so what's going on with chad now is 311 together are they touring yeah they're still doing what they're doing and they've got a new record mosaic i i was kind of shocked to because we have a a a two-piece spread with him a two-page spread man i need to go back to bed i thought i felt good Two-page spread with him in the January issue. But in the intro, okay. they, they talked about the fact that it's been the original lineup 25 years. I immediately was like, that can't be right. 25 years wow. and not one member has quit or been exchanged oh, yeah. for someone else. So it's kind of, I mean, 25, I mean, that's that's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, already. They're yeah. already eligible, yeah. That's which is insane. Because I remember thinking, 311? I still feel like they were a new band, but that just shows that right. I'm... Not a old. young man, <laughs> right? That we are old. Yeah, I mean, this is the this is high school for me. You know, totally. Yeah, my my brother my brother brought home the the first album from college, and it just it changed my world. It was that record, the first Rage Against Machine record, and yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Those three albums was like, okay, mm-hmm. game over. I'm gonna play funky rock music for the rest of my life. Right. That's it. Yeah. Done. You know, <laughs> for me, it was it was. Uh, 311's first album coupled with Incubus's first album, Science. Those oh, were the yeah. two that pushed me over and that I kind of tied those two together. Um, and because this is a time like where all of a sudden it was like, dude, is that a was that a DJ scratch in this rock song? What the <laughs> yeah, hell just right. happened? Yeah. Never heard that before, you know? And so yeah, it was cool stuff. But Chad was, you know, uh, along with 
Chad Smith, Chad was in there in that world of giving us beats where you could learn that. And then somebody at high school would be like, oh, you learned Amber. Oh, you learned whatever. Yeah. You learned this 311 <clears throat> beat. Um, yeah. yeah. And also, too, you know, after the police, we kind of went away from having the drums up front in the mix. And when 311 came out, all of a sudden, 311 and very different style, but even the spin doctors, those two all of a sudden just had this, like the drums were so present and so forward in the mix. Yeah. You know? and, I, and yeah, and I think that's a good comparison because they're both real clear, articulate players. And that, that's what kind of caught right. my ear. Cause I was at the time I was heavy into rudimental drumming and I could hear that he had some background in that. And it was, it all kind of just felt yeah. like he was my guy. I mean, he was, he was playing like almost fusion style drums in a rock band. Right. And for me, that was the perfect Agreed. mix. I wanted to get yeah. my, my Dennis Chambers, Vinny vibe, but in a band that was like really rocked. And I felt like 311 had right. that perfectly. Rage was well, more just like a Zeppelin power kind of thing, which I also loved. But the yeah. technical side of 311 was, was for me, was that was it. He, Chad just had something cool. His, his roles are so clean. He also definitely doesn't get enough credit for what he did for the drum industry. Like, you know, I don't know if Orange County would have been OCDP uh, at the time without the power trio of Adrian Young, Chad Sexton, and Travis Barker. Yeah, but true. Yep. It was such a thing where everybody asked, how do I get that snare sound? You know, and how do I get... To, you to drill a four-inch hole in the shell. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, yeah, we all. And then it was like, oh, okay. Well, uh, at at the next winter nam, I'll find out. I'll go by OCDP's booth, uh, and that was definitely one of those things where he made drumming cool again. He was part of that group. I mean, I really think that obviously Travis became the most um, celebrityized. That's not a word, but he he became the most famous of the drummers. To the world of non-drummers. But yeah, Chad yeah. Sexton, Adrian Young, and Travis at the same time, they were – it was just like, wow, you made drums cool again and, and everybody wants to play. And and I think also the one thing that was great about those three guys and Chad Sexton especially was that it was tangible. It it, it made you feel like I could do that. You know, yeah. whether you could or not, different story. But it made you <laughs> feel like I could play those beats. You know, it wasn't Rush or something like that. Um, now, do you know, does Chad still have his shop? I remember he had an actual shop in L.A. for a while. I'm not sure if it's open anymore. Hmm. Uh, we'd have to, have to kind of look around. You remember what it was called? We'd have to, uh, it was called Chad Sexton's Drum Shop. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, uh, I, don't, I, I never went there, but uh, I don't go to L.A. very often. So, um, But I, I just know that what, was, what I liked about him Drum was City. he was clearly. It's called Drum City, okay. but I, I believe it's closed, unfortunately. Okay. It was it was just cool to see him giving back to the drumming world, you know, uh, by having a shop and, and being a part of it. Um, and he's definitely one of those drummers that uh, we don't know a ton about as a person. Is not like you know overly crazy on social media, but dude, such an impact. So it's really cool that they're still going. Uh, what was the name of their new album again? It is called Mosaic. Cool man. Yeah, Very I mean, cool. the, it's and he says he used. This is awesome. Most of the snare on this record is one of those pearl sensitone snares, a steel nice. five and a half by fourteen steel. Like that's a what is that a two hundred and fifty dollars snare drum, three hundred dollars. That's drum, a maybe. yeah. That's so, a highly recommended snare to my students because it's like it's awesome. It has two lugs. Like yeah. I love two lugs and <laughs> two lugs beat a shell. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. It's a. It looks like it looks like a thousand dollar snare drum. Yep. Love that drum. Uh, any possibility of dropping in a clip? 
Sure, let's do it. Let's hear it. All right, let's talk about some gear. So in this same issue, I checked out the new SJC Paramount series, which is their, um, you know, they're trying to bring the custom shop vibe with attention to detail that they're known for, but in a more kind of affordable and also kind of streamlined. So I, I believe this Paramount series is only available in one finish, but it's just a really awesome dark walnut finish. It's it's, yeah. it's beautiful. I think it, it would appeal to anyone. I mean, it looks like a like an old, uh, not old, but like a 70s Gretsch kind of a finish to me. It's fun. This is the actual, this is pretty much the finish that I just ordered my new USA custom in. Oh, yeah? Um, in a gloss? Yeah, it's or called, you a they satin? call it, in a gloss, yeah, they call yeah. it antique maple, but it's really just a walnut finish. Yeah, um, so it's a gorgeous kit, and I think it, there's a limited, um, I'm just looking at the root, there's two shell packs. You get a three-piece that has an 8x12, 16x16, and an 18x22, or there's a five-piece that adds a 7x10 Tom, and uh what else you know that's it yeah so that's the and a six and a half by 14 matching snare there you go so it's very limited which i think is smart and to not offer everything that you could ever want in every series and just focus right well then and when you do that then it just becomes a custom company again and so i mean they're they're known for being one of the best custom companies in the world and now it's like hey if you don't want to deal with what it's like to order a custom drum set which is by the way, insane. Because once people start giving you yeah. options, and if you don't know what those options do, you don't want to mess up a four thousand dollar drum set or whatever you're ordering. You know, I so know. Um, it, yeah. So I, I hear horror set. stories from from oh. my buddies that make drums. Are like everyone's an ex- expert, and they they always pick the wrong thing, and you're like, oh, all right, I'll and you do can't that talk for them out you. of it, <laughs> but right. you're not going to be happy with it. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> and then I just want like the reinforcement hoops to be out of Australian Bavingo. And it's like, <laughs> stop. Um, I, I love on this kit, I love the low-mass lugs, and I love that mm-hmm. they're, you know, SJC has their own lugs now. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, really, if, if you guys follow SJC or uh, Mike online, they know what they're doing when it comes to social media and brand awareness and they make a great product and they were part of that custom drum thing that showed up you know 10 years ago and everyone else died off and they stuck around and there's a reason for that yeah i mean they're clearly pivoting into just being more of a drum company and not just a you know right you know if you you know crazy custom build they still do that but this is kind of their you know, this is like their all-purpose series that's not super high-priced. It's, it's, I believe it's made in Taiwan, but they, you know, it's altered their specs. Sure. Um, like you mentioned, the details that impressed me were that they didn't just use stock lugs and spurs. They actually have their own versions of, you know, the small lugs and their spurs. The thumb screws are, are shaped a little bit different. Just the little stuff that, that for me reminds me like this yeah. isn't just a assembly line kit. This is a, it's, their thing. It's, it comes down to taste too, like yeah. black washers. Those black washers. It's I can't imagine they cost the company any more to make them black or white. But <laughs> yeah. man, when you see them, you just feel like, oh well, that was a choice. That's a little tiny detail that I love. I can't tell from the picture, but it almost looks like there's a wood grommet on the tom, um, like natural wood. I can't tell if it's brass or natural wood. It's a brass. Um, you mean the the vent? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Like a brass. Is it brass? Yep. Cool. Really cool. Um, yeah, the the kit's just a, a good looking kit, and I really love 
I've all, I'm just a fan of like those low mass lugs, especially when you get down into a 10 inch tom. It's going to let that 10 sing. It looks yeah. like the toms come with um, like uh, whatever would have been rims mounts. Yep. Yeah, they're you know just the the generic version of it. It's, you know, right. It's the suspension mount that wraps around and, right. and grabs. F- I think. F- three or four of the tension rods depending on the the drum size of the drum um you know those aren't my favorite but they work and these are they're not super bulky and heavy so i didn't feel like they added like a ton of weight to the drum right i guess they're lightweight aluminum rather than heavy steel oh uh, really okay cool yeah i, I assume I, I could be completely wrong but it, i didn't feel like the drums were super heavy and that's for a gigging drummer that's super crucial i mean if i had to take sure. the, if they were really heavy i would take it off and just use a snare basket just because I just don't want to add extra pounds just for 10 seconds of sustain on my rack top. Right. But that's just me. Well, and, I mean, price-wise, you know, the three-piece shell pack, do you know if this is list, the, the $13.99? Um, no, that's sell price. So you that's can sell buy price. it. Okay. Yeah, 14, it's 1400 bucks for the for the three-piece, 1900 bucks for the five-piece with the matching snare. That's, that's awesome. That's right in there for a professional kit that, that – Yep. looks and sounds great it's versatile but it's not so custom that you're gonna have to like you know be afraid to take it anywhere right that's, yeah and that's that's important too um we've all talked about how many friends we have that own some of the greatest drum sets in the world and they gig with a, a you know whatever a beater yeah. kit yeah. yeah so well let's uh let's give this thing a, a sound let's oh, give yeah. this thing a listen <laughs> sorry i i'm reading the article too and i just read the sound so whatever let's give it a listen I mean, they're super resonant, but also yeah. you can tune them. I mean, I started out low because I felt like that was the most impressive and probably what would make most people go like, wow, they can do that. But they kind of lived in that medium range really well where they had a really round but kind of snappy resonance. I'm um, really just surprised at the low tuning that they didn't kind of die. Um, yeah. They was, still, yeah. you know, they sounded fantastic. Yeah, and that, that first uh, clip was... I mean, they were barely any tension on the heads whatsoever. Yeah, and there was no growl. Like, yeah, they just no. sounded like – they sounded fantastic. That's cool, man. Yeah, so um, they'll work for anything. I would have – ideally, I would have cut a port in the front head and thrown some muffling inside, but that's the way they shipped it, and I didn't want to – I didn't want to do that. But Wow, that but, was just straight stock heads. Stock heads. Going for it. Very little wow. tweaking. Okay. I didn't I didn't go crazy with, with matching all the lugs. I mean, I did initially, but then once I started moving the tuning around, I just kind of eyeballed it. 
up and down. Awesome. Yeah, it's a great love a it. Great kit for you know, it's a professional kit, but it's not like the most extreme. It's not a luxury car. It's like a right. It's like no, a it good sounds Subaru. like I mean, it's got a professional sound, and you <laughs> yeah. can gig with it. And if it gets a beer spilled on it, you know, you don't you don't have to start a fight. Exactly. You can just be like, all right, that's uh, not cool. There goes my new drum set. But <laughs> no, I, I think it's great, and I think you you said it right. But it's cool that a, a company like SJC that can do a million different finishes chose this one classy finish that'll fit everyone's purpose. Yeah, I can't think of any drummer that would hate this unless you're just. A I also, hater. <laughs> yeah, I also can't think of any snare you might have that won't go with this kit. That's another thing. Yeah, that's true. I'm I I do care about the aesthetics, and I like knowing that like I could throw a silver sparkle on that kit and it would look great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's pretty universal. Cool, man. Well, that is the SJC Paramount Series Shell Pack, so check it out. You can go to their website. Definitely follow them on Instagram. They put out so much awesome content um, and really let you inside the factory and inside the process. Uh, Mike is truly one of the great people in our industry, so check that out. All right, let's get into listener questions. Oh, man, we're there already. So the first one, here we go. This is from Bill. He says, in episode 98, uh, Mr. Dawson referred to putting aside his arrogance and was better adept to appreciate music and musicians in a new enlightened mind. Can you speak to this imperative? Uh, How serious musicians should should find pathways to one's own transcendent enlightenment away from snobbery and arrogance to listen with more innocence and less jaded ears? That's Uh, a great question. It is. Probably arrogance is not the best word that I would describe it. Because I think a lot of it is ignorance as well or, or inexperience. Yeah, yeah, I think there's so many. Essentially, I think it's – for me, making music with other human beings is to get rid of your agenda. So you have to come to a, yeah. a group agreement of what is my role, what should I be doing, who's the lead, who's controlling the, the groove, who's – when should I make – you know, when should I sacrifice what I think is right in order for the better musical experience for everyone? Right. So I think that's just over time. But um, again, I, I mean, I, were you I, ever at a point? Were you ever at a point through going through your jazz stuff that you looked at a specific genre and just blankly said that sucks, country sucks, punk rock sucks, or were you always of the mind of like, well, let me hear it first? Yeah, I think I mean I think I have an unusual circumstance where I kind of was forced to play tons of music, and in order to make money playing music, I had to play all kinds of music. So I couldn't afford right. to be like musical theater sucks. Well, that's all I right. did for like ten years. I couldn't afford right. to be country music sucks because coming from the Maryland area, there's a lot of country music, and you kind of have to just do it. Um, right. I did kind of go through a. Metal sucks, kind of a. That was my okay. thoughts for a while. Sure, and that was probably just because I didn't have to play it, and I didn't really like to listen to it, and therefore I just was going to just set it aside. There weren't a lot of gigs where bands were hiring me to play metal. That just wasn't sure. But and it comes it comes down to ignorance again. I mean, it's yeah. it'd be probably different if you stood, you know, backstage with one of the great metal bands of the time. You would yeah. probably have a whole different appreciation for it because you'd be putting yourself in that drummer's shoes, like we all do when we see anyone perform, and you'd be going, "Oh my god, I couldn't do that." If they asked me right now, if this dude had a heart attack and I had to fill in, I couldn't do that. And that's <laughs> yeah. when it's like, okay, sucks, and 
is not my thing are two totally different things. Mm-hmm. There's lots of music that still is not my thing, but I never jump to that point where I say it sucks. That means it's bad and it's failing at trying to do what it does. That's not the case. Um, yeah, you know. yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know who said it, but I think there are only two kinds of music is, is very true. Good music and bad music. And I think for me, I, I crossed the line of there's honest music and there's, you know, what's the opposite yeah, of point. honest. I mean, you're not being truthful with, I mean, if you're true. Right. If you're playing the most kind of down the middle mainstream pop music and you're honest about it and it comes across in an emotional way, you can't deny it. But if Dude. you're if you're trying to sell records and you're really this right. like really kind of weirdo, but you're trying to like write cheesy love songs, it's going right. to come across as is that's the inauthentic. thing. And that's that's when I can choose to to say no, this isn't good. It's because you're failing at what you're trying to do. I can see through it. Um, but it's also funny though how the audience the audience's arrogance changes. John Mayer is a cheesy pop artist. Oh, he's got Pino and Steve Jordan. John Mayer is the deepest cat ever. It's like, (laughs) dude, it was like a one-year span of time. What happened? Or we just found out that Steve Jordan did drums on that album that was so cheesy. Now it's brilliant. You know, it's like, all right. So I I think all of us need to be more open-minded about all genres of music and art in general. Yeah, life in general. But still, I think when it comes to, to music... You need to be open-minded, and then I, I, I learned my lesson by seeing the rock bands that I thought, you know, quote-unquote sucked, by seeing them live because I was forced to be on tour opening for them, and I realized, no, I, this is this is great at what it does. Blink-182 was great at what they did, and they were trying to do what they did, and they did it really well. So Yeah, yeah I wasn't I, interested in it at the time, but I go back and listen to especially what Travis was playing on those records it was like right. man, he was going for it. He was pushing. There's no re- there's no wonder that every teenage drummer wanted to sound like Travis Barker. He was right. totally. giving you tons of stuff to to learn. Right. Yeah, and I mean the thing is that's what they were going for, and they achieved it. So I think uh, all of us could do better by being more open minded about everything. Yeah, I guess my final point would be that just working at Modern Drummer, I have to abs- I cannot be arrogant or have any blinders. I mean, one of my first cover stories was was with chris adler and i had not listened to lamb of god at all until i got the assignment and i had to spend two months preparing and i transcribed like every beat he ever played by the end of it i was like dang this band is for real like he's going for it and i had the same same experience with zach hill like the first time you hear zach hill you're like what is this (laughs) maniac doing but i listened to every record he ever made and you start seeing how everything kind of comes together and yeah so yeah, for it's part of it for me. And it would be exactly be the same if Chris Adler had to transcribe a bunch of Max Roach stuff. You know, by the end, yeah, it would probably. be the same conclusion. He'd be like, "Man, this stuff's the real stuff." And and the good thing about when you go that direction, when you go backwards, is then you realize, "Man, all that stuff I thought I made up, I guess it was done before." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, know, right. you transcribe <laughs> like one. Papa Joe solo, and you're like, yeah, I I guess I didn't make anything up. All right, so the next question comes from. Okay, here's one from Tom. What defines your style as a drummer, or how do you define it? For instance, one day, if I set up my, my kit like Steve Gadd and tune the snare low and try to play like him, but then the next day I want to play uh, pop punk and play like Travis Barker, um, and then the next day I want to sound like John Blackwell or something. So he's saying, how do you define your style? 
it's once all those people blend together and uh, and mix with who you truly are. Um, you know, I, I think we all go through our phases where we try to emulate somebody and straight up plagiarize their their art because we're trying to assimilate it into ourselves and we're so impressed by it. But at some point, that's that next level. I think one of the last steps in becoming a great drummer is finding your sound. Um, and I don't mean just on, you know, the kit and the snare choice. I mean, how do you attack the drums? The way that you spoke of Steve Jordan playing his snare and it sounded nothing like when you pl- played yeah, his snare. Exactly. I think that that um, Benny Greb is a great example of, I can't make his ride sound the way he makes it sound his when, but when he plays it, it's how could he play any other ride? It's perfect mm-hmm. for him. So, so I think finding that sound and that combination, um, all the drummers you just mentioned, I think an amalgamate of those drummers and a little bit of you would make a killer drummer. So yeah. um, that's what's what's fun. You know, some people just maybe they obsess over uh, Elvin and Max Roach, but then they just love the way that Ringo's toms just kind of fell down the staircase. You know, <laughs> yeah. his tom fills. Um, well, put those together and then you get something new that we've never heard before. Yeah. So, but I, I do think that if you are specifically trying to create a sound based off of other people, you're going to fall a little short. I yep. think at some point yep. you have to kind of give up the reins and just let let it flow out of you. Yeah. There's a great interview with uh, Vinny Cayuta and Dom Famulara. Have you seen that? No. It's on YouTube. It's part of the, that session oh, series. Oh, video. Yeah, they're just sitting down and it's Dom interviewing Vinny. And he, okay. he addresses this very topic. and about how he was kind of getting real kind of frustrated with not having his own thing and okay you know, obsessing over wanting to sound like Tony and Elvin and all these guys but ultimately he says he had to just stop thinking about it and let go of it because okay you, you can't force it you can't force your yeah. own style and i think the one barometer would be when do you stop wishing you sound like someone else and then yeah for sure like for me the shift is i wish i sound like Keith Carlock too how can I take some of that stuff that Keith is doing and use it rather than thinking yeah. I don't have it. It doesn't sound like Keith. Well, I just want to take that idea and, and see what and I can do. And how do you morph it so that somebody asks you about it and then you go, actually, that kind of came from when I was really into Keith. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it there doesn't are sound times. like you're just throwing on like, oh, there's the Keith <laughs> lick. It's like right. I just here have comes some... my Weckle. <laughs> yeah. I, got, I dissected my one Weckle lick and it's going to come right after my Virgil. Yeah, I mean, that's the key is that it's like, well, what is it that you love about Keith? You know, Keith, um, who I'm so excited, got added to the 21 Drums Camp, and I get to spend a week studying with yeah, you know, next awesome. to him. Yeah. But um, Keith opened my mind to jazz phrasing, jazz improvisation in straight 16ths. It never occurred to me. Um, mm. And right. I just thought, like, oh, I've always loved that freedom that the jazz drummers that I watch have. I've always loved that, but I... I don't feel that I one. I'm not musically playing that kind of music, and two, I, I don't want to do it in triplet form. I want to do it in six, straight sixteenths. So, you know, I I would I enjoy when people say, "Do that thing you're doing, like where you're kind of speaking between your kick and your snare." It's like, well, I can obviously trace it back to jazz, but really, it never even occurred to me to do it like that until I saw Keith play the Modern Drummer Festival. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah so yeah, that, I think yeah. that's the key. I think it, it's you know it's the the irony of life you can't force yourself somewhere where you're not going to go you just can't yeah, do it right you know? i also think too like your sound i don't i i don't know i i definitely don't have this figured out yet because i'm still developing my own sound but i know that 
it's other people telling me about my sound that is the sound. Yeah, you um, couldn't one day me. say I'm going to have the most flowing, relaxed right. sound ever. Right. You can't just. I it's, mean, you could. You can make that a goal, but right. you, you can't erase the years of what you've done before that. Like I couldn't all of a sudden say I'm going to play really aggressive. My sound is going to be right. aggressive because uh, right. I've, I've yeah, spent yeah, yeah. 30 years learning how to play very quietly. <laughs> you know, so I can't right. erase totally. that. Yeah, exactly. And it, and back to like hating on other styles of music, it would be inauthentic. We would notice. It's yeah, like dude, exactly. you're, for, you're wishing that you know for this moment in time you were Tommy Lee. There was a guy that did some videos back in the day on YouTube, and it was like he'd do like ten seconds of a few different drummers, and I was one of them. So it was like he did like a little Tony Royster thing. Then he did you know whoever uh, I, I don't know who he did, but then when he did me, it was like. Oh, so that's what you hear in my playing? And I was like, okay, uh, okay. That it was just kind. Of, it was such a different. I mean, imagine me making a video impersonating you on the drums. You would probably be like, wait, that's what you hear when you hear me play? Okay, oh, wow. Weird. Okay, so let's do a little quiz here. Okay, what do you think your sound is? Oh man. Um, Things that would identify my sound would probably be that I don't typically do a two and four backbeat. Mm, um, okay. Because I notice that in so many other drummers, like say Carter, he'll he'll start with kick and or snare on two and four, and then he'll improvise all around that. But snare will always still be on two and four to give you something to anchor onto. Mm. I, I I definitely improvise around that. So there's that. Um, I actually have no idea. I just yeah. sit down and play. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know that I could answer it either. I would like to think because of what I'm focusing on, it's I play streamlined, effortless, not effortless, streamlined, kind of flowy and deliberate. I hope, okay. you know, like I hope there's not a lot of yeah. clutter and noise in my playing because that's my goal in life is to not have a lot of clutter and noise in my head or in the right. music that I make. But I don't know that that always comes across, and I would, I'd be way it's, too arrogant to say that that's what I sound like. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I. It's like I can't. What, well, yeah. What am I going to say? Be like, I don't know. Flawless timing, killer tone, and just overall badass nature of drumming. <laughs> that's pretty much the greatest. Of all yeah, time. I don't know. I guess just a mix of Vinny and Buddy with a little bit of, but a little Lethel. bit more actually. A little. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, not as restrained as Vinny. <laughs> Not as held back as Buddy Rich. <laughs> but really going more, for it. I think, yeah, I think it's like Buddy, way more, but like really going for it. More forward thinking, too. I don't really stay in the past like those guys. Um, yeah. So. All right. Time for pick of the week. This show is going overtime, and my my stomach is going to explode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fantastic. Okay. My I'm pick kidding. of the week this I'm time. Actually, I'm healthy. You want to go first? I'm healthy. I'm not, I'm not ill. Um, no. Yeah, so I, I I spent a good time on the road. Uh, first of all, more listener questions should come into mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We do have a few audio questions that have been we've been hanging on to, so if we get a couple more, we'll do an all-audio question segment coming up. Nice. But, Love it. You know, I spent a lot of time driving this past weekend, and for me, when I'm driving, I like to listen to podcasts. It just makes the travel go a lot faster than listening to three-and-a-half-minute songs for four hours right. straight. So one that I tried early on but didn't really catch me, but I went back and revisited is – I'm just opening it now. It, Chick Corea has a podcast. It's called 
Music Magic with Chick Corea. There's not a ton of episodes, um, and they're not the most, like, you know, if you think we're amateur hour on a podcast, <laughs> these are definitely <laughs> amateur hour. It's essentially Chick and, and, a, and a friend sitting down, and they just talk, and there's, like, there's you can there's literally no direction of where they're going. Okay, but I mean he's sitting down with uh, Wallace Rooney and Gary Burton and Stanley Clark and John wow. Mayer and Bella Fleck and Herbie Hancock and Marcus Gilmore. So it, you know yeah. even their random Take it. conversations backstage before a gig is still full of little little pearls of wisdom. So. Uh, I don't have any in particular that I would recommend. I think the Herbie Hancock one was really cool because you've got two guys who are peers. They're also elder statesmen. And nice. Herbie is actually one of Chick's biggest influences. Oh, so you wow. get to hear these guys who are relatively the same age, but Herbie was had the big gigs before Chick, so it, right. it's really neat. And same thing with Gary Burton. Gary Burton was a really good one. I didn't realize how... You know, Gary Burton was involved in the scene at a, like as a teenager, playing with with all the big names in New York City before Chick Corea broke. So Gary Burton again was wow. getting the bigger gigs before Chick. So they're sitting down. So it, it's a That's really cool. really good. I mean, hopefully he keeps doing them. There's not a lot there, but they're worth it. It's called Music Magic with Chick Corea. Fantastic! I'll check it out for sure. I love listening to that stuff. And sometimes those not so professional podcasts end up being the best ones because people just get relaxed and loose and say things they might not otherwise say in just a for, very formal interview so yeah I love that totally stuff. and just to hear these i mean chick has his, his boston accent i mean it's just cool to yeah yeah get some personality to these guys that i only know as musicians really right Super fantastic cool. well my pick of the week is a uh Another musical stud, which is Robert Glasper. Uh, this is a video series that I want you to check out. Um, it's Robert Glasper live at Capitol Studios, and the song is so beautiful. And uh, I'm not positive. Let me just check if it says. It doesn't say, but I'm pretty sure. Do you know if uh, Damian Reed is open-handed? I think so. Uh, okay. I, I'm pretty sure this is Damian Reed on drums, um, but it's not listed in the show notes. And um, and he's somebody that I would love to learn more about. But whoever is playing drums, I'm pretty sure it's Damian Reed, just because he's a minor artist, and I know he plays with Robert Glasper. Mm -hmm. um, but the way it's shot is there's not a lot of focus on the drummer, but I would like you guys to hear it because it'll change your mind about how you think of ballads because you're going to hear this song come in, uh, and it's very mellow, very chilled out, but then all of a sudden there's just this this smoldering fire behind it on the drums that is mm -hmm. just incredible. So before I talk about it anymore, let's give it a quick listen. I love piano Dude. trio. That's my favorite oh. ensemble. If I oh. could play in a piano trio like this, I'd be happy for the rest of my life. That's a guarantee. I, you know, uh, this ended up being kind of the back 
uh, background music for last night's band practice. We had this on. I said, you know, we don't need to cover this, but I need I need to have this type of a song in my life. I need mm-hmm. us to play something slow where I I'm never ever committing to a beat like a little one measure groove. Right. But there's always this just forward momentum. But but it's just not what you would expect under something so beautiful. But I, I think you guys should not only hear it. You can obviously get the album. The album is called Covered by Robert Glasper. But you can I would encourage you to watch it on YouTube because one of my favorite things that's going on right now is super HD footage with high contrast black and white. Yeah. Like I just really love nice. it. Yeah. Love it. And uh, and you and because it's recorded and, and there's a vocal mic over by Robert Glasper, you can hear him humming the melody as he's playing and he just can't help himself from singing. So check it out. Robert Glasper, so beautiful, live at Capitol Studios. Timeless, man. That black and white, I mean it's it's definitely an homage to like the the jazz casuals with John totally. Coltrane and Miles. I mean, it's it's timeless. Very. Cool. It, you know what? The black and white footage led us as a band. Last night we came in here in the studio and we watched this a few thousand times. And then I, uh, <laughs> all of a sudden I was like, dude, do you guys know who Sonny Payne is? And they're like, no. And I'm like, oh, let me show you this. And we went on this black and white voyage. <laughs> I showed him Sonny Payne, Papa Joe. And then Dean was like, oh, do you know this piano player? And we watched somebody that I'd never heard of. And it was all, we went on this run of like 30s, 40s, and 50s. It was really cool, man. So, Can we do this podcast in black and white? Would that be cool? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you can't take the color out of us, buddy. This is, this is what we do. We bring the heat. Every week, everyone, send in your uh, questions. MDinfo at moderndrummer.com. Mike already mentioned that. Please keep listening. Give us a review wherever you're listening to us from. That helps other drummers find this podcast. And have an amazing, amazing week. Go who's going who's gonna to kick us out? It's uh, We've got Luke. Luke with a fat beat. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.